Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are in your presence and we hunger for the life of your Son. Lord, we look for so many other things to satisfy us. And yet, he alone can give life. Let us hear his words, and Lord, may they sink deep into our souls. Amen. We've been in John 6 for three weeks now. And to be honest, this week was one of those weeks where I was thinking, how in the world is there yet another sermon to be preached out of the same chapter that says the same thing many times? Y'all can tell me afterwards whether this succeeds. John 6, particularly the verses you just heard, 51 through 58, is a chapter that theologians love to get into controversies with one another about. They love to fight about this one. They're polite fights when you read the commentaries but they shoot at each other from their pages nonetheless. It's these verses that are the biggest controversy in the chapter. Because in these verses, we hear something very, very startling. Listen to a few of these words again. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And so on, and so on. It's either a profoundly graphic depiction of what happens at the Lord's table, or it's a metaphor where eating and drinking are just a strange way of expressing the concept of have faith in Jesus. This is the basic argument that you find when you read the commentaries. Half of them saying he is describing what happens every Sunday morning at this table, feeding on the flesh, drinking the blood, receiving the life of Jesus. And the other half saying it's a graphic metaphor. Eating and drinking just means have faith. On the one hand, those who see the sacrament in this, who see the Eucharist in this, point to the words themselves. He sure seems to be talking about eating and drinking his body and blood. It's pretty straightforward, right? But those who believe it's just a metaphor for faith say the Lord's Supper has not even been instituted yet. Why would Jesus talk about something that the people have no way of being able to understand because they don't even know yet about the Lord's Supper? Besides, they say, and this is really the crux of the argument for those who see this as just a metaphor for faith. Verse 54 links eating his flesh and drinking his blood to eternal life. Can we really say that we actually receive eternal life at this table? Those who believe that he is talking about the sacrament would say, well, of course, because if we receive his body there, we receive his life, and his life is eternal. And therefore, we are receiving his eternal life. They also point back to the early church and say the first generations of disciples had no problem calling this meal the medicine of immortality. Words that sound strange, almost mystic to our materialistic mindset. But the other side responds, Luther, 
Calvin, even Augustine, theologians all of the highest caliber who all believe that we actually do receive the body and blood of Jesus when we come to the table, all of them said, this is just a passage describing faith. Even though it's true that we receive Jesus at this table, this passage doesn't prove that. The other side responds, yeah, except for the fact that every other ancient Christian thought that this was about the sacrament. I could go on. I can't solve this dispute. If you want to talk about it later, it's actually fascinating to me, the arguments on both sides. But I'm going to stop because I can't solve the dispute. I've got my views, but to be honest, far greater theological minds than mine dispute over the meaning of this passage. And so whatever I think needs to be held with a great deal of humility. For what it's worth, I actually think that it's possible to hold both those views at once. After all, the Bible is explicit that we receive the life of Jesus by faith. The Bible's not unclear on that. Therefore, eating and drinking certainly are metaphors for faith. We receive Jesus by faith. But one of the primary places where that receiving Jesus by faith occurs is actually at this table. It's like the table is a microcosm for the entire gospel. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Paul says, is not the cup of blessing that we bless participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break participation in the body of Christ? In this moment, we are actually participating in the life of Christ. In other words, they are metaphors for faith because we know we receive Jesus by faith. But one of the places where we do that is actually at this table, where we come forward with open hands, trusting that he will give himself to us. Like I said, I think it's possible to hold both these views at once, because in the end, what happens at this table is like a microcosm of the gospel. It's the tip of the iceberg, every element present there, Jesus broken, given to us, received in faith as we are strengthened and nourished in his life. It's a microcosm of the gospel. But I don't need to spend more time on this controversy or my views because I don't want to miss the heart of this passage. That dispute about eating and drinking can oftentimes obscure the real jewel, the gift, the center, the heart of this passage. Even though people disagree on what eating and drinking are, no one actually disagrees about the heart of this passage. And that's where I want to spend our time today. At the heart of this passage, Jesus is offering something, and he's explicit. It's not actually unclear what he's offering to us in this passage. The offer of Jesus, very simply, is his life. It's his life. He stands before this crowd that he has fed with bread and fish. He stands before this crowd that he's fed with material food, and he says to them, I actually have a better offer for you. I have better food than that food that I multiplied a day ago. I have a better offer for you, and it is my life itself. He says, my life is eternal. It's the life of God the Father, and I will give this to you. And if you open your hands and receive the life that I offer, you will discover that you are living in me 
and I am living in you. He says, if you receive this life that I offer, you will discover that even if you die, you will actually live forever. This is the jewel, the heart, the gift offered to us. And I don't want the difficulty of understanding what eating and drinking means to obscure the fact that his offer is explicit. He stood before that crowd and said, I offer you my life. He stands before you this morning and he says, I offer you my life. This is the offer that's at the heart of the passage. He looks at you and he actually says, I will give you a life that cannot disappear. I will give you a life that cannot be broken. I will give you a life that COVID cannot take away. I will give you a life, he says, that is not threatened by divisive and ugly politics. He says, I will give you a life that will actually survive a family falling apart. He says, I will give you a life that will actually overcome your greatest fears, your anxieties, your sadnesses. He said, I will give you a life that's actually bigger and more powerful than your loneliness. He said, I will give you a life that's actually more beautiful than the pleasures of this world. He says, I will give you a life that is better than the best parts of our society, more pure than the worst parts of our society, more valuable than money. He says, I will give you a life that would actually give you a reason to wake up, a reason to go to work, a reason to keep serving that person that's difficult to serve. This is the offer that he makes to y'all. This is the offer that he makes to me. I would give you my life, he says. Perhaps what's most beautiful is he says, I would offer you a life that even your failure, even your sin, even your shame cannot undo. He says, I will give you a life that cannot be conquered by the worst thing that you have done and will overcome all that has been done to you. Life that eradicates shame, life that transforms us so that we are actually holy and righteous before God. Just as he did with that crowd, Jesus stands before you and he says, this is what I offer. This is what I would give to you. Will you receive it? I know you all know this, but it's an offer that we actually need to hear. We need to hear it regularly because how needy are we? How empty are we inside so many times? How many places do we pursue life that will not satisfy? How many times do we look for other means, anything of giving our life meaning? We need to hear this offer that he makes because we are so inclined to go astray, to lust after the wrong thing, to grab after that which cannot satisfy. And yet he stands before us and says, this that I offer is true life. Would you receive it? The cost of the life that he offers is beyond our comprehension. Remember verse 51. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The cost of this life is beyond what we can imagine. He offers his flesh to give us this life. On the cross, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the one who is the very word of the Father, God from all ages past, on the cross, God was pierced. He was broken. And when he was pierced, 
when he was killed in the tearing apart of the very God of the universe, life flowed forth. And the breaking of God and the piercing of him, life flowed forth that brings healing and a new creation to the world. As he said, the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. He offered himself for a world that had rebelled, a world that was dead and darkened by sin. He offered himself for murderers and prostitutes, for cheats, for liars. He offered himself for the proud, the cynical, for the wicked, for the selfish, for the idolaters. He offered himself for the unkind and the arrogant. He offered himself for you and me. In that moment, in that moment, on that cross, he offered his flesh so that we might have life. And when he was killed, life flowed forth. Life that comes all the way up to where you sit this morning in this pew. The greatest injustice, the greatest tragedy that the world has ever seen. The creator murdered by creatures that he created in love. The greatest injustice that the world has ever seen occurred that day. But in the mystery of God, life flowed forth from death as he died on that cross. As his life flowed forth, all things were suddenly different. Because now, every one of us who actually comes forward in faith with empty hands, every one of us who says, I've realized that I cannot find my own life and I need yours, every one of us who comes forward in faith is suddenly given the life that they lack. Everything that is missing from your soul will be more than overfilled by the abundant life of Jesus who pours it out upon us. All are made new in the life of Jesus who approach him in faith. That offering, even if we might think that eating and drinking the blood are metaphor, that offering on that cross was not a metaphor. It was not an abstraction. It's not just a theological truth. It's not something ethereal. It was actually something more powerful, better than even a great truth. It was the actual bruised and blood bloodied body of the Son of God himself hanging on that tree. And in his death, life comes to you. Life that is not just a nice sentiment or a metaphor, but his actual life the life of God himself flowing in your veins. This is the exchange. This is the offer. This is the jewel at the heart of this passage. And I don't want that dispute over what eating and drinking means to obscure the gift that's actually offered to you all this morning. So he says to you this morning, this is what I would give you. Come in faith and eat of it. Receive the life that you cannot make for yourself and let all things be made new. As we close, I want to actually mention just in passing one of the more intriguing questions in this chapter. We can all understand this offer. I mean, it's beyond our comprehension, but we can grasp it in some rudimentary sense. But there's a question that lingers, and I'm not getting back into the dispute. But there's a question that lingers. Why did Jesus choose eating and drinking to, des to describe this? Isn't that kind of strange? 
Like, why didn't he just say it bluntly? I'm offering you my life, you receive it by faith. Why did he talk about eating and drinking? He would have solved all this dispute if he didn't bring this whole concept, metaphorical or sacramental, into this discussion. Why did he talk about eating and drinking? The question's actually broader. Because eating and drinking shoot through the Bible as one of those really, really, really frequent spiritual images. The question's broader. Why does God seem fixated on e eating and drinking? Think with me for just a moment. We start in the garden. What are there? Two trees, fruit trees, life, knowledge of good and evil. We jump forward to Passover. Why did they have to eat a meal? Is they're running out of town. We jump forward to manna. Why is this the thing that God does in the desert, the place of testing? We jump forward and we can keep doing this. It's actually a lot of fun. Elijah sitting by a book, brook, fed by birds. A widow with a jar of oil that keeps overflowing. Why is God so fixated on food? Why the feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000 in case we missed it? This passage where Jesus uses eating and drinking to describe taking his life in faith. The Eucharistic self. We jump forward. Why are they always breaking bread in each other's homes, the agape meal that follows the Eucharist? Why this fixation on this banquet in the kingdom? Why does God seem so preoccupied with food in the Bible? It's one of the most regular pictures that we see, one of the most regular spiritual images. It's more than a picture, though. The tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they actually received life from that tree. It's more than a picture. The Eucharist, like Paul says, it's actually participation in the body and blood of Christ. It's a spiritual image that shoots through the Bible, but it's more than an image. It's a picture of God doing something, and it's actually God doing that thing. It's both the picture and the reality at the same time. Why is God preoccupied with food? What does this picture depict? The first answer to this question is that the picture of food always depicts the life that we receive from God. That's not that complicated, is it? It depicts the life that we receive from God. But food always also depicts the place that we learn dependence, the place that we learn faith. Not a single one of us can make food. You cannot make an animal grow. You cannot make a plant grow. You cannot make the harvest come. You cannot make the rains come. You cannot make the sun rise. You get the point. Food is a place where we learn dependence on God. It's the place where we learn faith. Every now and then in these pictures of food in the Bible, God breaks through and says, by the way, that's what I'm trying to teach you here. He did it with the manna. He said, I'm trying to humble you to test you, to see if you'll depend on me and me alone. Sometimes he tells people what he's trying to communicate. Food's a picture of the life that God would give you, a daily picture of the life that he would give you. It's a daily picture of the necessity of faith and dependence. It's also a daily picture of blessing, of how much he would overflow goodness in your life if you would let him. There's a variety of things that we could learn from this picture. We can learn from it that his blessings are more creative and multifaceted than we realize. Think how many types of food there are. And if this is a picture of his blessing, we must have underestimated his blessing. We could learn from it that his life only comes to us through death. 
After all, animals must be killed to be eaten. Even the apple or the ochre must be plucked from the plant and destroyed in order for us to have life. We learn through the image of food that death must precede life, and we understand when we see the cross how this is true once and for all. But there's one aspect that I want to close with today, and that is very simply, we don't eat food just once, and then we're good for the rest of our life. We don't eat food just once, and then we're good for the rest of our life. We have to return to it day in and day out. And if we neglect it, we get weak. If we neglect it, our emotions get out of whack. We despair or get angry. If we neglect it in an ultimate sense, we will die. In building this picture of food, food is the image of God's life given to you. Food is the image of your dependence and faith on him. Food is the image of God's blessing that he would do, would do for you. I think it's significant that God created a system where you have to go back every single day. He could have made us photosynthesize. He didn't have to do it the way that he did it. But he chose a picture of absolute dependence where we return day in and day out. Merge that thought with the offer that we just heard of Jesus' own life. He chose the images of food to communicate this offer. The point being, we don't just say yes to Jesus' life and then live the rest of our life focused on something totally different. That would be like eating breakfast today and then waking up next Saturday wondering why you were falling apart because you hadn't eaten in between. You return to food over and over. The point is clear. Return to the life of Jesus over and over. The offer that he makes to you is one that's to be received every day. Salvation is not just I prayed a prayer and then I'm good for the rest of my life. It is return every day to this offer that he makes. Come in faith to his table today. If your soul is weak, if you feel empty, if there's nothing that you have that can confront the complexities and the difficulties of the world, come back to his table. Listen to his words. Receive them with open hands in faith and let his food strengthen your soul. Come back to him if you are broken. Come back and say, Lord, feed me yet again. Come back and let his words be healing strengthening and encouraging in your soul. You hear the point. You hear the offer. Jesus stands before you this morning and says, come feed on me. Let me fill the empty places. Let me give you my life. Amen.